We are back with another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and it's not just two of us today, but we have a third friend joining us. Our favorite Marvel fan, Caitlin, is back with us today. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. She's back, guys. We had to bring her back because we are reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home today. It came out about a little over a week ago, um, and we're excited to dive in. So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with the IMDb summary? I do. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. Oh, changed forever. Yes. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. That was just almost exactly on cue, guys. <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll do our best. <laughs> All right, so this is the first Marvel film post-Endgame. You all have heard much of Caitlin. She's been on our previous episodes for Captain Marvel, for Endgame, and and we're back with Spider-Man. So should we dive into our initial thoughts of the film first? I thought this was a fun film. It's Spider-Man is always fun. He's sassy. He's... You know, he's a teenager, so he has all that sarcasm, and it's just, it's fun. But it was also interesting to see the ramifications of everything that came from the previous two movies. And we're now in 2023, or somewhere right after that, Mm -hmm. um, after the big blip, as they called it. Um, (laughs) So it was interesting to see some of the things you didn't think about necessarily with people coming back five years older and uh, siblings having swapped positions and, you know, just all of the, the chaos that comes back when half the population suddenly appears out of nowhere after five years. So it was fun and it was also interesting to see what some of that looks like now. Mm-hmm. Sarah, initial thoughts. And I guess we should insert our uh, spoiler alert here as well. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, stop listening to this episode, hit pause, go see it, and then come back because we have no guarantees that we won't accidentally mention something from the ending in our initial thoughts. I'm I'm grateful Caitlin uh, was so gracefully um, ex- explaining her thoughts of the film without talking about any ending so they realized I didn't mention that all right so Sarah your initial thoughts see I appreciate that the disclaimer came right before me because now I don't have to worry about censoring myself (laughs) you know anything goes I wasn't I don't think I was planning on spoiling anything but you know now I can if I want to we'll see where I go yeah (laughs) I'll spoil it all um I am not a Spider-Man fan. Uh, I think my feelings towards him could be called apathetic. Uh, You know, of all the Marvel characters, I don't really care about Spider-Man all that much. He's, you know, that's fine. You do your thing. That's cool. Um, So I didn't have high hopes for this film. And for me, it it was okay. You know, there was a lot that I felt like it did really well, like 
the the score was incredible and I just wanted to keep listening to that like I didn't care what was happening on screen I just wanted more of the score so to me like that was the biggest win um they did some things really well I liked um you know their little subtle moments of humor um like the opening I thought was hilarious but nobody else in my theater laughed so I was like what is yeah like when when the when the movie started and it was um what is I had this yes Whitney Houston just singing and I was I was busting up laughing and no one else was laughing and like when the what was it like in memoriam or whatever it said (laughs) When that came on in Comic Sans, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a tribute video made by some kids. This is great. <laughs> and then like the the uh, like Getty images watermark on the pictures, like it was so like those little moments I thought were absolutely brilliant. But for me, like I didn't really care about Peter Parker. I didn't really care what happened to him. I didn't care about his crush on the girl. Like I was just like, Meh, whatever. Um, and I had some <laughs> issues, uh, with some of the casting and we can get into that later, but I think, you know, it was, it was an okay movie. It was, it was a lot of fun and, uh, you shouldn't expect much more from it. So, <laughs> so I am a big Spider-Man fan, so this will make for a really fun episode between all of our different <laughs> perspectives yes, and views. Um, I love Tom Holland. He is just such a ball of earnest, nervous energy and such innocence that it just melts my little heart to see him so wide-eyed and his little American accent. It's just so much adorable happening on screen. So I'm here for it. I love it. Uh, I was really curious to see what this film would do being the first MCU film after Endgame. Like, how are they going to bring us back in, kind of usher us into this new era of the MCU. And so I thought some of the things they did around that tribute video at the beginning was really great of being, acknowledging everything that had happened in Endgame, but also infusing a little bit of humor into it and and going just, hey, laugh with us. Um, let's move on to the next era. But I, I, I really also appreciated that they there were so many little nods throughout the film to Captain America with the shield and happy um Iron Man is obviously a huge presence throughout this film and so the characters are still so much a part of this thread while still being a film about Spider-Man so I am curious actually to hear what your guys perspective is on how this film does as the first Marvel film post Endgame and what it does for bringing us into the new era of the MCU. Um, do you think it's effective? Is there things that you were expecting to see that you didn't see or that you were surprised to see? I'm curious your thoughts on that. I guess it was kind of a soft intro, I guess, to the world post Endgame. Um, you know, it was a a limited perspective. It wasn't this big grand thing like Endgame and Infinity where war, 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 oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
you know, it was pretty much just the perspective of Peter Parker and that's it. But it gave such an intimate view. I mean, obviously he's more personally affected than so many other people were between having been, what they call it, blipped away Mm -hmm. and then having lost his mentor and my gosh, he lost his parents, he lost his uncle, he lost Tony, that poor kid, and then the bit of a loss in this one as well. So I liked that they they approached it from a small scale mm. so that you could kind of see the, you know, you got the, the opening uh, little banquet thing with Aunt May talking about, you know, reappearing in her house and the the crazy things that happened there and so they they're showing you in all these little ways how much the world is different and the the hole that the avengers left as much debate and argument as was there about the avengers whether they should or shouldn't be doing what they're doing so i liked it as a as an intro to that new world just because you got you weren't overwhelmed with 15 stories you just got to look at it through the eyes of one kid you know i didn't really think about it that much until uh this moment so um (laughs) i i think that it was a really strategic move on their part to make this the next film i'm curious as to why the release date is so close to that of uh endgame Mm. i feel like they could have given it a little bit more of a buffer and maybe we wouldn't, you know, I've, I've heard like listening to other podcasts and kind of like reading about the film, like some people have superhero fatigue. Yes. So I wonder if they had spaced it out a little bit more, if maybe that would be diminished some, but I think because they focused on just this one superhero, they're able to kind of create a blank slate for them going forward and really create some intrigue about like what does this next phase look like? And I think, I mean, really, there's no limits on where they can go next with this next phase of the MCU. So I think if they had done something like big and flashy right afterwards, we would, number one, be like, oh my good lord, we're so tired. You can't give us another thing that's so big right now. But I think they would have also kind of written themselves into a corner and they didn't do that because this was the next film in the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really interesting challenge that they had post and game of there was this years and years of buildup to this moment and that moment happened and so many characters are no longer part of the cinematic universe um, or kind of ushered into this MCU era 2.0 and how are you going to still keep people engaged now that this whole big story arc and tension has kind of been resolved like how do you keep people's attention um they easily could have begun to lose momentum which is one of my hypotheses on maybe why they kept the release date so close is to keep keep the attention of people and really have Spider-Man be a epilogue of Endgame of, okay, this is the film where we're going to look at the aftermath and the new world and do all of those humorous moments. But it, it was also very smart that they chose Spider-Man to be the, the one that happens 
the first one that happens post Endgame because it's a character that is iconic that a lot of people absolutely love and adore. Sarah's not one of them, but for a lot of people, they know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> they know Spider-Man, and so they'll go out and see it, and then you've kind of hooked people in with those end credit scenes, which we haven't talked to talked about yet, but um, they were quite effective at the end of this film. So it was an interesting challenge that I think they handled quite well to keep keep the intrigue up. My theater was completely packed um, going into this, this film. So um, I'm curious to see if the superhero fatigue will continue to develop or if Marvel will still be just as effective as they have been the past many, many years to keep our attention. Yeah, I was shocked because my theater was packed too. And I went at like 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Like it was the earliest show that I could find <laughs> and it was still packed. I got the last seat in that theater and I was oh my like, gosh. what? This never happened wow. at this time. So it's still, people are still itching to go see these movies. That's crazy. What was the demographic like? out of curiosity it was yeah it was dark and it was like the previews were almost over so I didn't uh, get okay. to see anybody <laughs> I didn't get to people watch guys I'm Sorry. just imagining all of the uh like elderly folk finishing up their morning breakfasts, going out to the theaters <laughs> hey those are my people man I, I love the elderly folk like uh I get, I get it. I get it deep in my soul. So that's why we can go see movies together. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what stuck oh, out gosh. to you about uh, Spider-Man Far From Home? To me, it was, uh, you're going to hear this phrase a lot from me today. I'm sorry. The poor kid. He's 16. <laughs> leave him alone. Just, he's trying so hard to, to be a teenager, which is hard enough in itself. It sounds like he and Aunt May were pretty well displaced when they were snapped back. Their former home was now occupied. Like I said before, he's lost so many people. He's obviously dealing with PTSD. And he just, like he says, he didn't expect to have to save the world that summer. You know, he just wanted a break. So for me, that was the, you know, the most interesting part of the movie was just watching this poor kid try to shoulder something that was so much bigger than he should ever have had to bear the weight of. And, you know, are you going to be the next Iron Man? I don't I know. Don't talk to me about yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> I, obviously, he's looking at that as something absolutely impossible. You know, how do you... How do you think, yeah, I'm going to take the place of my hero when I just literally watched him die in front of me? No. But, so just watching him wade through that muck. Yeah, that was that was the, the takeaway thing of it for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I loved that he kept using the phrase, like, do you need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Like, Aww. I loved how they, like, kept yeah. bringing it into that smallness. Yeah. And I thought that that was so brilliant when they interjected that. Because then you saw, like, wow, like, you are just used to this one little piece. So, like, you being stretched. And it kind of gives context even to the other films. Like, 
bro, you are in space, but you are comfortable as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And he wasn't ready to take up that mantle. And that was just a really subtle way to express that, like, no, that's not me. Um, and it was, you know, using his iconic catchphrase. So all the wins. And it's interesting because in Spider-Man Homecoming, all he wants to do is to save the world and to do bigger things than just the friendly neighborhood um, saving the day of these small crimes and rescuing his neighbors. And it's interesting to see this film post and game where he's gone and done all this and seen so much and experienced so much. And he just wants to go on a date with this girl that he likes now. And it's, it's cool to see that growth and that change. And it feels very true to life that we want to take on these big things and we, we do it. And then we begin to realize like there's so much for us to learn and we're not ready for it. And, um, he's gone through so much trauma in the past, uh, couple of months um and he just wants to go back to simpler times and focus on simpler things but alas the mission is calling him he i kept thinking about captain america a lot throughout this film um because i think captain america's story arc is a little bit similar and especially with the way his arc ends in endgame where he was constantly having to choose between his own personal desires and this girl that he loved and the mission and that inner tension was was so real but he always chose the mission and it felt very similar to um peter parker's struggle in this movie specifically of this mission's calling him but also what he just wants to do is to like spend time with this person that he loves uh, but there's this greater call and there's this higher purpose and he feels a sense of duty and he's just trying to grapple through all of that. Probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie was when he's on the plane with Happy and he finally just lets go and just yes. erupts and explodes. Yeah. And you see just all of that raw, like the wounds that are still there and the trauma and the the anger and the everything and just getting to let loose. And I love, I love that it was happy because, you know, obviously because he's, he was close to Tony and, um, you know, he's, he's been through this with one superhero already, but he's, who else is going to take someone's explosion as coolly and as level headedly as he does, because he's been with, been friends with Tony for how long and you know he's he's been through that you know this guy's great he has so much weight on his shoulders and sometimes it just cracks them down a bit and so I just absolutely love that scene um and just like okay yes I acknowledge you I acknowledge all of that you're not wrong there's nothing wrong with you now, where do we go from here? And it was just, it was the perfect scene. It was beautiful. I loved it. And that was after he, that was after Peter realizes that he made a mistake in giving Edith to yep. Jake Gyllenhaal. It was after, yeah, it was after Beck tried to kill him the first time. After he got hit by a train. Oh my mm, gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was after all of that. 
right before London. See, I just didn't, I didn't understand how he was still functioning and, <laughs> you know, had any ability to have coherent thought. Like, I'm like, bro, you are concussed. <laughs> you were just hit by a train. We need to go to the hospital. Like, it's fine. Like, we need to get you medical attention now. He's <laughs> very concerned about the concussion protocol that was not happening in this film. I would love to just see a film where, you know, in Emperor's New Groove where it pauses and the llama pops <laughs> yes. out and is like, all right, let me show you something here. I would love to just yes. watch a film where it pauses and you just see Sarah like walk on s- screen and just <laughs> unpack everything that doesn't make sense. And then it keeps playing and then it pauses again in the future. And it's like, and so in this scene this doesn't make sense because there's no way that happened. And this character wouldn't have done that. And this is not how reality works. All right. Continue on. Mystery Science Theater 3000 Sarah edition. Exactly. (laughs) I grew up watching Mystery Science Theater. It was one of my ultimate goals as a child to like do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type show. So I'm all for it. Let's make this happen. Go team. (laughs) Oh, it'll be so great. So how did you feel about Nick Fury and some of the interactions that Peter Parker had with Nick Fury and a little bit of the kind of pressure and call to his purpose that Nick Fury is trying to convince Peter to be like, hey, there's this larger story happening here. Like, what are you going to choose? And yeah, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I have issues with Nick Fury right now. <laughs> um, He's currently getting the cold shoulder from Caitlin. <laughs> Everyone knows. No, more like the angry glares of... Yeah, anyways. Um, Nick Fury is very much a product of the, ori- the pre-snap world, the original S.H.I.E.L.D., the... Um, trying to contain these things before they happen and working with adult superheroes who have come into themselves before he gets a hold of them. And we all, I mean, it's been no secret through the movies that Nick Fury operates for himself and has his own agenda. And yes, his ultimate goal is saving the world, which is a very, you know, good goal. Um, (laughs) I appreciate people who save the world. Um, But he is so invested in his goal that he can't see the people he's using to get to that goal. And I think that's where you're going to start to see the absence of people like Cap or even people like Tony who are there to build up and to teach and to guide and to lead. Nick Fury is not a leader by any means. Mm. He's a, he's an orchestrator. He's maybe a mastermind and he may even be a protector to a degree. He does, you see it at the end of Avengers, you know, he goes, 
I'm not currently tracking them. They've earned a day off, but he is not a leader in the sense of leading people. And so you see that here. Um, and you see happy take up that, that position as being a leader and someone who can coach and guide these people. So, you know, right intentions, wrong execution, I guess would be where Nick Fury falls in all of this. Um, and I think it's it was kind of nice to see him not be perfect, like, you know, to see Hill call him out. No, you you had no doubts about him at first, you know, and um, happy call him out and say, no, he'll call you. It was kind of nice mm-hmm. to see him, not in a bad way, but see his, maybe his uh, ego be knocked down a step or two. Um, but then you wonder you know, then we have to look at how much of that was him, but yeah, that was my next question. (laughs) You know, assuming that was essentially Nick Fury. Yeah. That just, that scene threw a wrench into everything. (laughs) I don't know what to believe. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about the, that, and that specific, there's two end credit scenes. We'll talk about that one first. So, is the assum- the assumption that I made was that the whole movie n- we weren't seeing Nick Fury, we were seeing the scroll from Captain Marvel. I don't remember his name, but we were seeing him playing Nick Fury, which might help explain why why he was a little bit more off or played that character a little bit differently than we've seen him in the past was that your read on it as well is that the entire movie was not Nick Fury or just parts of what we saw was no longer Nick Fury he says when he calls Fury he says we gave the kid the glasses a week ago so this movie happened over only about a week. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing was... The whole thing was not Fury or yeah. Hill. It was the two scrolls. Which yeah. kind of makes the line... When Peter asks about Captain Marvel and he says, Don't invoke her name. I was so curious about that. Yes. It was such a visceral reaction that he had. I was like, <laughs> what? It made me laugh. And then to realize that it wasn't actually scary, it was the scroll. I'm like, I'm wondering if he got stuck on this because Carol called Fury or something. I don't know. But, but it was funny. At the end of Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel and that scroll dude are on good terms. So there must have been something that happened. Oh, I didn't I didn't take it as animosity. Oh. I took it more as as like as annoyance. Don't even try and go there type of thing. Uh, yeah, like don't even try and play that card. She's the reason I'm here. Don't talk to me about it kind of thing. Like mm. don't talk about her. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. That was how I took it. Sarah, what about you? 
Yeah, the the reveal of the scroll being Nick Fury made me feel a lot better about Nick Fury because <laughs> Nick Fury is my I guy. I agree. I <laughs> thanks, Caitlin. I appreciate it because I completely disagree with all of your thoughts on Nick Fury <laughs> in this film. So. Um, pretty much the opposite of what Caitlin said. Uh, no, like I, I was, I was here for Nick Fury, and I was like, "Yes, shit needs to get done. Nick's going to get it done. I don't care about your feelings right now. We got the world in danger. I need you to step up. And then we can have feelings later. You'll be fine. Let's move on. You good? Okay, let's go." Like I was very much in that like Nick Fury get it done mode. I think if I cared more about the character of Peter Parker. I would have issues with Nick Fury, but you know, the world needed saving. You were unfortunately our only option. Let's make it happen. Uh, but my biggest issue with Nick the entire movie was that he trusted freaking Mysterio. <laughs> Bro, you don't know him. He is a stranger. Stranger danger, thank you very much. Do not trust this man to save the world. What is wrong with you? <laughs> So the reveal, the reveal of the scroll being Nick Fury made me go, okay, we're fine again. We're good. I don't have yes. to question all of your judgments now because it wasn't you. So the next time I see a character in a movie do things that I, I'm like, oh, no, I'll just, in my head, the narrative I will write to myself is that they're just a <laughs> scroll. They're just a scroll. They're not themselves. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. There's no flaws in this logic. Nope. Nope. Um, it's, it's great um, when you lie to yourself. It's awesome. <laughs> do it. Just, you know, yeah. makes things easier. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, though, if the scrolls have seen evidence of a multiverse. And that's why it didn't, his story didn't weird them out. Does that make any that's, sense? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think uh, of the three of us, you are the most qualified to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it's a pure question. In the, mm. in the comics, it exists. It's a thing. Um, but in this, in this MCU, um, you know, I wonder if they have, if that is a possibility that they easily entertain because they're like oh multiverse yeah okay cool um you know obviously there's been scientific research done at, as we saw in peter's um excitement when he he found out about um the supposed multiverse but i wonder if that's part of why they were um you know they were taken so off off guard like oh yeah sure okay that's a thing we've heard about so why not but that's just a question for the air i don't have an answer for it well in endgame doctor strange oh no it wasn't doctor strange it was hulk talking to i don't know her name but she looked like a badass and she was doctor strange's friend help me out oh yeah there. Um, phone a friend Yes, the um, Sorcerer Supreme. Yes, that lady. Yeah. She told the Hulk about how when you travel back in time, it creates another reality. Right? Right. If, if, if it's disrupted, then it creates two realities. Mm-hmm. And 
And then in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I don't know where that fits into any of this storyline and story arc, but they do explore the concept of the multiverse there too. Right. So that, that comment there, also yeah. felt like a little nod to tie in Spider-Verse into this general coherent, uh, mm-hmm. somewhat related story. Yeah, I don't know. But yes, I do agree that that him trusting um, Beck, it made much more sense once you found out that it wasn't Fury. Because mm-hmm. as Beck said, he is the most paranoid man on this planet. <laughs> I mean, the guy's... Yes! Just, he doesn't trust a shadow, much less... No! Some guy that comes <laughs> There's out a of reason nowhere. why... There's a reason why he's still alive. (laughs) Sometimes if you are whatever his role is, man, you just, you got to be paranoid. I don't know what his job is, but he's really good at it because he's keeping himself and others alive. So you just keep on keeping on Nick Fury. I wonder if there is, well, when I had first watched it the first time, I wondered if there was a little bit of desperation there too. Again, in this like post endgame world where the Avengers no longer exist, uh, Captain Marvel is off saving the entire universe apparently and all the planets that live in it. Uh, Thor is gone and there's just no one else to turn to that I initially read it as him just needing someone to help fight what he thought was a very real threat with the elementals. And like, this was the guy that could do, I mean, like what other option would he had? It's either like trust this guy or be killed by the elements of the earth. Um, and this fire dude. So I guess we're going to take a gamble and go with this guy. Um, cause Spider-Man alone may not have been able to take on the fire dude. So he needed something. And of his two options, he chose, the one that was maybe a little bit more of a gamble is how I read that. Now that he's not uh, actually Nick Fury, I don't know. I could see how it was just the scroll being a less fantastic version of the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I think Nick Fury 100% would have used this guy to fight these things, but trusting him implicitly is not a thing that Fury would have done. Mm. So I think it was, it was one of those, like, almost, you're almost right, but something's just a little off kind of thing. Like, the actions were right, the thinking behind it wasn't quite right. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, because, I mean, Fury will use whatever Fury can use. And, I mean, yes, to... To agree with what Sarah said, that's why he's still alive. That's why, you know, being the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then underground S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatever else things have become. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All the various heights of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just shooting in the dark here, too. Yep. But I, I have not thought too deeply about scroll technology of being able to morph into another another but the the scroll must have had contact with fury throughout a lot of this right so 
was he able to run run by Fury a lot of the decisions that he made? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if he's kind of like a sitting duck version of Fury, you'd think that he would run by him a lot of these thoughts or decisions or choices to for how he's navigating the situation. I didn't get that impression from the phone call because he didn't want to tell Fury that things had gone sideways. Mm, okay. It was the girl that was like, uh, yeah, you, you need to, to tell him. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's like, true. No, every, it was emotional. It was great. It was touching. Things <laughs> went great. Oh, yeah. And then we almost blew up the world. But, you know. <laughs> like, okay. you know, like when everything goes wrong and you like your boss is on vacation and it's just, I mean, <laughs> everything went nuts. But you're not going to call them on vacation and say, hey, you know, everything is going wrong. You're just, you're going to fix it. And when they come back, it's like, you know what? It's fine. We handled it. We took care of it. No big deal. Don't worry. Oh, these four things blew up, but then we solved it. It's okay. You don't have to worry. Like, I feel like that's what he did. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if it was Carol Danvers' orders not to call Fury. And that's why he was so. Don't talk to me Don't about Captain Marvel. Her name. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, oh, but I'm that's also fun. What? That's a fun idea. I like it. <laughs> Just like no, he's going on vacation. <laughs> when they showed him, like when you see that first shot of him sitting in front of the beach, a couple people around me were like, "Was it Tahiti?" Was it Tahiti? <laughs> Which, um, if you don't know, go watch the show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I won't throw a ton of spoilers in there for you. But, uh, wow. yeah. So, a bunch of people wondered if, and it, that's not what it was, but a bunch of people wondered that. It's like, oh no, Tahiti again. Dun, dun, dun. Anyways, but it wasn't. <laughs> so that's just a little fun nugget for those of you who have seen S.H.I.E.L.D. So, of the two end credit scenes, the one that got the much larger reaction in my theater was the second one. Which was when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal outs Peter Parker and we see J. Jonah Jameson revealed. Let's talk about that one. Did you get, did your audience, Sarah, have a reaction to this scene, at least? I don't think so. Oh my goodness. So it must have been <laughs> all the elderly people. Like, got to have been. I don't, like, I was, I, okay, so I had been thinking about the old Spider Man movies and how J.K. Simmons was J. Jonah Jameson. And so I was throughout the far from home movie i was thinking about like the names and alliteration and i was like oh man where's j jonah jameson he was so oh, good when can we get this character back and then he popped up on the screen and i was like oh, how did you know <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh i know that i freaked out i was i had so many questions i yeah i freaked out but i don't think the rest of my theater did so that or a you little just couldn't hear them over the sound of your own freaking out is also my theory. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was all internal freaking out. So uh, okay. I would have heard if others freaked out as well. But 
You know, maybe the, it was just everybody internally freaking out. Ah, uh, yes. There were just a room full of people like you. <laughs> just a room <laughs> full of introverts. It's fine. But I imagine all of their, I'm imagining inside out and like all of their internal voices are like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> my theater, there were people that legit like leapt out of their seats and like whooped and hollered when he came on screen. It was so loud. <laughs> That's amazing. So great. What about your theater, Caitlin? My friend next to me is a huge Spider-Man. And she was like, oh my gosh, you see him, oh my gosh, you see him. I love that they they recast him, they used him again. Um, so over her, I don't know what the rest of the audience did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest there. Um, I think the reactions were more to the reveal mm. of Peter Parker as Spider-Man than to anything else. People going, oh, crud, that's not good. I think because cause those movies came out, what, early 2000s? Mm-hmm. Yep. Something? Yeah. So you think if there are a whole bunch of 15-year-olds in the audience, it, it, they've never seen them. So, or there's a chance they've never seen them. So um, I think that was a nugget for the die-hard Spidey fans. Uh, yeah, but the real kicker was was the reveal of Peter Parker being Spider-Man by Jake Gyllenhaal and his last dying breath. Which, I'm curious, how much was his plan? Like, was that actually him? Did he actually do that reveal? Or was it all mm. the guy in the chair to quote Ned um, uh, the guy from the uh, first Iron Man movie that you saw because you saw him downloading everything uh, I see. right before right before everything you know went completely chaotic and with all of that illusion tech did he completely make up that whole reveal to make it more dramatic i mean um obviously we know that the the dialogue was doctored because what peter was canceling was not or what peter was executing was the the shutdown shutdown command not the fire command Mm -hmm. um but was even that reveal doctored because i don't think he really planned to die in the way that he did i don't think he had time to actually record that those words yeah um Mm. so just thoughts i was looking at the entire thing as pretty much being fake but who knows interesting yeah it reminded me of uh actually when when at the very end of the first iron man where Tony just straight up is like, I am Iron Man. And <laughs> yeah. in my head, like, I can see why this is problematic. But also... Because he's 16. Is it that problematic? <laughs> in my head, I'm like, why, why doesn't he just embrace it? Like, why keep it hidden? Also, I mean, I feel like Peter Parker is not the most unusual name ever. So... 
I mean, it could just be a different Peter Parker. It's fine. Except that they flashed his photo. Oh, I missed that. I was so focused on J.K. Simmons that I didn't pay attention to that. I thought the same thing the first time I saw it, and then the second time I was like, oh, oops. (laughs) Okay. Well, there goes that idea. (laughs) You know, we'll see what happens in the next movie. Yeah. See how he deals with the media attention and the... And see, the reveal wouldn't be a problem, well... Wouldn't be as big of a problem. Yeah. As except the, for the doctored footage of him being the yeah, one yep. to create the the explosions. Yep. And now that What's-His-Face has gone and died. Uh, There's no proof. There can't be, yeah. They're there was no one up there way. with him. Yeah, they're making so. their way for more, more movies. Yeah. Which is apparently slated for 2021. I looked the this up. The next Spidey movie? Yes. Okay. 2021. Which, okay, two years. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the whole illusion tech theme I thought was really, really interesting. Marvel has always done a great job of weaving in these storylines and themes that have these hints to uh, modern day topics that are very top of mind for us right now, but doing it in a way that feels so fun and not so preachy. So in Captain Marvel, they did this with the scrolls and commenting on the whole refugee problem, but without really making that the main thing that they're trying to preach at the audience. And I thought they did some really interesting stuff with the illusion tech and the drones in this movie as well. Um, A lot of interesting commentary on the media and fake news, uh, the whole concept of not believing everything you see and how much of what is broadcasted is in fact uh, created and staged in a lot of ways. Marvel has always done a really great job at weaving those in, but not making this super preachy big theme um, the way that it could easily become and just kind of leave a like gross taste in your mouth. So I was I really appreciated that they they were able to do that in a kind of cool, subtle way, and also like drive the plot forward and make for some cool scenes. I hadn't looked at it that way, aside from uh, you know MJ's snarky remarks about I'm sure you can <laughs> believe everything you read on the internet, and um, you know Peter going. Yeah, it was Night Monkey. They said it on the news. It has <laughs> to be true, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I hadn't looked at it that way, especially not with the illusion tech. But interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that the most in the change in the J. Jonah Jameson character. Because, I mean, in the Ooh. Tobey Maguire spider-man movies he's you know he's running the daily bugle and he's what an editor right caitlin he's anyway he's peter parker's boss and you know newspaper man and all about the news and the facts and you know all of these things but then you see him in this new iteration Mm. you know promoting something that we all know is fake but he's saying it so firmly as if it is fact 
And so I think that's very much a commentary on where we are right now as a society and where people are getting a lot of their news from. Um, And I think it's an interesting spin or a look at um, like propaganda, Mm. um, which we don't often talk about, but we are inundated with today. This film came comes out, I think, a few days after uh, the first wave of the presidential debate. So it was just very top of mind uh, for me going into this of like, wow, oh there uh, so much of what you see is constructed and well-crafted. And Miss, I think Mysterio says at some point that um, people will believe what they see and they what they want is a hero and that his he needed that evidence and credentials to show these big uh, battle scenes in order for him to be seen as a hero. And I think that is just so, so relevant to the times right now and such an interesting way to comment on it without outright commenting on it. I love when films do that. It's my favorite. Yes, when they talk about a thing without talking about the thing. Uh huh. It's wonderful. And you're having like a grand old time, and then you like stop for a second. And you're like, wait, why does this feel really familiar? Oh, oh, oh! I see what you're doing here. Okay, yes. Ah, oh, it's so cool. They get you while you're having a good time. Yeah, they Jedi mind trick you. Ooh, there's Star Wars <laughs> reference. No, but when I was watching the movie and they made the Star Wars reference in the movie, I was like, bam, <laughs> yes. there it is. Yes, yes we can do so one you so wouldn't get it it's not in the a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that I was um, thinking about while I was thinking about topics to talk about for this episode that would also be a, a nice weave-in for a Star Wars reference is how this movie feels like it's answering a lot of fan questions that were were rising up and bubbling up after Endgame and doesn't avoid them. It very much is like, yes, we hear you and you have all these questions about what happens after the blip. So we're going to give you these little moments um, for that. And I was thinking about how a lot of people had qualms with The Last Jedi because it almost uh, just dismissed a lot of the fan questions that were beginning to be raised around like, who are raised parents and who's Snoke and how it feels nice as a fan or as a moviegoer to feel like those questions that you have and um, the gaps that you wish you could fill in the, the studio, the writers and the creators are like, yes, we hear you. And like, here's, here's a little bit to fill in that little gap for you. We're not going to give you a lot, but um, that whole opening scene feels like that little, little hat off to like, Hey, we're listening to you. And Here's what, here's a little bit. Alrighty, so is there anything that we haven't talked about yet from Spider-Man Far From Home that you think we should discuss and unpack a little bit? Well, I have a little bit of a rant. All right, Slash, I need to ask y'all's opinion on this uh, because I realized that I watch movies very differently than a lot of other people. But I was very, very bothered by Jake Gyllenhaal as the villain. He did a great job. I think that his performance was wonderful. As usual, he's great. But because he's such a big name actor, 
like I didn't know that he was going to be in this movie. I didn't know anything about the cast, really. I was so excited to see Sam L. get on the screen. It was great. But when the first second that Jake Gyllenhaal popped up on the screen, I was like, well, he's clearly the villain because there's no other like spot in the cast that someone as famous as him could fill. Like, there's no way that mm. he would be a supporting actor in this film. So, like, from minute one of him in this movie, I knew what his role was going to be. So there was no suspense when they do the big reveal. Um, so that led to some interesting questions in my mind of what would this film have been like if they had picked an unknown actor as the villain um, would that have enhanced it or might that have made the reveal maybe a little bit more dramatic or am I just being nitpicky and weird? I, I really see what you're saying and I had a similar thought but instead of the casting choice it for me it was the timing of when the sunglasses handover happened and then also knowing that there's no way they would have Jake Gyllenhaal be quote-unquote the next Iron Man. So therefore, like, he, was, mm. he definitely couldn't possibly be this, like, new buddy with uh, Spider-Man because, like, they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have replaced Iron Man that quickly. Yeah. It would have been super, like, disrespectful to all the fans and how much they love Iron Man. It's just be like, and here's the new one. So, like, for me, that moment felt like uh, it, it became obvious to me that he wasn't going to be – he was going to be the villain very quickly and that there was going to be this big twist and turn that was going to happen soon. So, for me, it was more the, the timing of when it happened in the in the film. I think it was, like, an hour or an hour and a half in um, that I knew that it wasn't – I could see the turn coming. And so it was, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And I, I had the same general thought, except for it was around timing versus casting. Caitlin, what about you? Um, knowing a little bit about the comics was more where the, the knowledge came from for me. Mm. Um, because <laughs> I was talking to one person and he said, since I was a little kid, I've known that the guy with the fishbowl head is a bad guy. Um, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I would give it away. <laughs> um, so, but I think for, for comic book fans, knowing that it's more the, um, the how and why, because obviously they, they know, they mm. know this guy is going to be a villain. And so the, the story of said villain is more, I think, more going to be what makes or breaks the story, I guess, if that makes sense, um, than the the grand reveal. Um, you know, how is it revealed to the characters? Why is he this villain? You know, what, what put him in that position kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I guess for people completely unaware of the comic book lineup i i can see where both of you are coming from i was gonna say i really don't think that um the edith glasses were sitting on the ground um 
Yeah, no. <laughs> um, that's, you know, essentially Peter's whole life wrapped up in a pair of sunglasses. So um, <laughs> at that point, yeah, it's like, uh, and him being like, they were just sitting on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think at that point, you're supposed to start getting uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so question, in Captain Marvel, did you see the Jude Law plot twist coming? Did I? Yeah, either of you. Because that was also one of those casting choices that I remember Sarah mentioning was surprising because he ended up being the bad guy and he usually plays... Right, and- Yes, and which that was, was the so thing with brilliant. The two of them, because mm-hmm. it was Jude Law, but it was also, um, oh my gosh, his face. I just completely blanked on his name. Ben Mendelsohn. Thank you. Yes. It was the two of them, <laughs> yep. and they swapped traditional roles. Yeah, was like wait. Yeah, that what? was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I loved that. Okay, yeah. but. As soon as the scroll took on, um, you know, the human persona, it was Ben Mendelsohn. I was like, oh, yep, mm-hmm, he's always bad. Bad news. <laughs> and then, surprise. So that's and one because... that worked well when it subverted your expectations. Mm-hmm. And Captain Marvel was the first of, like, the Captain Marvel films. So it wasn't as much of a stretch for me to see Jude Law in that role, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause sometimes you do, you don't know where they're going to take these characters. You don't know if he's going to be her sidekick and is going to be in a few more movies or if he's going to be the villain. So it could be a toss up either way, but because of how famous and how much acting credential Jake Gyllenhaal has compared to, other people in Spider-Man, it's like, well, clearly this actor is not going to be the sidekick to Tom Holland as great <laughs> as Tom Holland is. It's just, he's not going to be the sidekick to a 16-year-old kid. Like, no. <laughs> that is really interesting, though, to see how the casting choices really influence the effectiveness of the plot and the tension of the plot. Mm-hmm. Because... Like, for you, Sarah, you because you saw it coming, a lot of that tension was no longer as effective or as powerful as I probably wanted it to be. Yeah, and then I saw, like, to me, all of the emotional beats were in the wrong spot. They were in the right spot for that plot line, but had it been somebody else, I would have known that they were going to do that twist in the very beginning, the first time that Peter doubts himself, is like, oh, that's too early. That comes mm-hmm. later in the plot. So you're speeding things up so that you can have this twist in the middle. So it would have given me a little bit more time to wonder about who the actual villain was if it had been an unknown. But mm. I also realized that I watched movies differently. So I love know. when Sarah's writer brain comes out. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's always there, always ready to go, guys. <laughs> I love it. And oh. I guess that's one of the challenges of transferring written material onto the screen because 
you have to play around with that that balance of we need someone who can pull this role off and how do we also not make it flat out obvious um, yeah so yeah just one of those unique challenges of the film industry would have been cheaper if they went with an unknown dude <laughs> i was gonna say mm-hmm. not that there aren't a ton of fantastic unknowns out there um, <laughs> which honestly this film even without jake gyllenhaal would have drawn a crowd like they did not need him to get people in the seats mm-hmm. with tom holland zendaya and then just spider-man brand mm-hmm. they would have done fine just fine i wonder if it was more of a this will draw in the fans who know Mysterio kind of thing. Mm. You know, I wonder if that was the mentality, like, you know, okay, people are going to know Mysterio. Obviously, for the story, they're still going to write it in as that twist. But I wonder if that's, you know, if it was more like a fan credit for the the comic book fans. Because I feel like at Spider-Man... The Spider-Man franchise has always drawn... Big names. Well, that too, but the the film franchise, I feel like, has always drawn the fans of the Spider-Man comics, whereas the others have become such a a pop culture thing that, you know, so many people going to the movies have, you know have no background in actually (laughs) reading the comics and Spider-Man is becoming that is more so becoming that now because especially with the interweaving with the MCU, but Mm. we've seen, this is the third modern iteration of Spider-Man. And so I think, you know, it just, it has that tendency to draw that fan base. And so I think some of that casting choice maybe due to that i don't know i don't know what's in the heads of kevin feige and all of them but (laughs) again just a thought to be thrown out there Mm. it's a good thought i I like that yeah because i mean think of you know think of something that you were a huge fan of you want it sometimes you're like oh that would be so cool to see this person play so and so you know i don't know Alrighty, so final thoughts on Spider-Man. I Like I said, I think it was a fun movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoy the... I enjoy Tom Holland and, and Zendaya and seeing their... seeing their friendship work so well on screen. It may not be my top Spider-Man film, but I still enjoyed it. It was still fun. Um, and I'm curious to see where it leads they're always good at leaving those like oh it's like those end credits are like when you read a book and then you read that that teaser chapter for the next book in the trilogy or in the (laughs) series you're like i should not have read that because everything wrapped up in this book just fine and then they gave me that little teaser and you can see that everything's falling apart that's what they do they suck you back in with those little end credit scenes so i felt like that's what they did here so yes it's the smartest marketing tactic ever and also 
they force people to sit and watch the end credits. I bet that's the most number of people have ever finished watching all of the names flash yes. on screen. Of I think any it was other Godzilla. I saw Godzilla a week or two ago. Uh-huh. And because I'm a Marvel fan, I can't get up and leave before the credits are over of any movie. <laughs> I just can't. And so this dad and his son were sitting next to me. And again, the, the end credit scene was just this little tiny teaser of, oh, things aren't quite done yet. And the kid looks at his dad goes, that's what we sat here for. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Final thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm interested to see what happens next with this. Because one of the things that I left the theater and did immediately was Google Sony's deal with Marvel. Because Spider-Man is still owned by Sony. They retain those rights, which was brilliant of Sony. Good job, guys. Um, And so they, they have an agreement with Marvel for, I think it was six films. And three of them were the standalone spider-man films so after this next one we don't know what's going to happen next whether sony is going to try and you know take spider-man into a direction outside of the rest of the marvel characters or if they're going to create another agreement um so that he'll be included in more so i'm really really interested to see where the two companies go from here and how they divide up the intellectual property of the MCU between each other. So I think that's really interesting from like a nerd perspective. (laughs) It will be interesting. Yes. They either have to essentially wrap up his MCU character arc or open the door for more. Yep. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting business decision. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Man, it's going to be interesting to see what they do and then how fans react to that decision. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Which, it's going to be so jarring if they end up wrapping up his story arc in the MCU and then a couple years later rebooting him again and picking him up in another universe with a different story arc. Like, it's going to be so jarring. Um, Now, here's a question for you. If they did... I think I know Sarah's answer to this question, but we'll see. (laughs) If they did wrap up his MCU story arc and then whoever it may be, you know, Marvel or Sony or combination thereof, if they kick it off again, who do you want to see as Spider-Man? Not actor wise, but which Spider-Man do you want to see? Do you want to see more of Miles Morales Do you want to see adult Peter Parker? Do you want to see Spider-Pig? Do you want to see someone we don't, (laughs) you know, someone we don't know? What direction would you like to see the Spider-Man franchise go? As being a big fan and a not really fan. (laughs) Interesting. I think I honestly, I just want more into the Spider-Verse. Like, I want more from those creators and I want more of that style of art like that's really what I care about like I would love 
you know, if the next Spider-Man wasn't a white guy, that would be great. I'm down. Let's <laughs> let's be a little bit more inclusive, shall we? Um, I think that would be really fun. But, yeah, I really want more Into the Spider-Verse. That's my favorite Spider-Man <laughs> movie so far. So uh, can we do more of that, please? I am fully on board mm. with that. See, I just find... Tom Holland's Spider-Man so endearing and it feels very true to the Spider-Man character and brand of him trying to figure out how to step into the this this purpose that he sees that he has but he's still so immature like I was so frustrated with him throughout this entire movie because I'm like bro you gotta save the universe I get that you like this girl <laughs> But, like, you're choosing the wrong thing every time, buddy. No. Uh, but I think that's what's really endearing about the character. Uh, and I think it's a great character for, like, this this fusion of superhero Ness with the, like, teen coming-of-age story uh, together infused. I, I, I love it. So who knows, maybe, like, two or three more and I'm, like, reaching – the end of what I want to see, but for right now, I am, I'm good with Tom Holland, and I'm excited to see more of him. He plays Spider-Man so well. He perfectly captures the, like, <laughs> innocence and the charm and the awkwardness all rolled into one. What about yeah, you, he Caitlin? really does. He does. He does. I was, I was in the group of people that was not adamantly against it being another teenage Peter Parker, but I was like, it would be nice to see something a little different. But then Tom Holland hits the screen and you're just like, all right, okay, yes. okay. He's great. <laughs> I, I adore him. He's fantastic. So, yes, I would like to see this continue. I'm going to give a non-answer here. I would love to see this continue. <laughs> I would love to see another Into the Spider-Verse type movie the the visuals and that were incredible mm -hmm. and the um bring in all the the crazy variety of it basically showed you we could go in all these different directions and then you know i'd love to see some passing of the torch as well um you know whether it be adult spidey mentoring baby no. avengers um no. <laughs> i don't want to see that <laughs> I was just about to say what I don't want to see is the Peter Parker, the older Peter Parker from the Enter the Spider-Verse movie where he's all cynical and yes, like that's forgotten. That's what I want to see. No, yes. I don't want to see that. No, that, that Peter Parker served a specific purpose in that movie. He did. But he you, really did. Would you really want to see a whole movie of like cynical, like run down by the world Peter Parker? Like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> no. What you going to do with that character? That would be fun. Let's do it. Oh, but it's not on No, brand. he would, yeah, he would have to be, they would have to do it like they did in Into the Spider-Verse. He couldn't be the main character no. and be that. He would have to be the guide. Yeah. It, yes. There would need to I get be, it. And, that's, and that's what I would love to see is to see him being a mentor, whether it be a character arc of him stepping into that mentorship or... Mm -hmm you know, him being the mentor to all these young superheroes because he's been there, done that. 
but his t-shirt got blown up in the fight. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'd love to see some kind of variety in there. Um, but, you know, I've, we'll see. There are so many possibilities. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to Sarah's point to see how a lot of where it will end up going will be have so many business implications. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I remember. The solution is Disney buys Sony as well, but you know. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Looking at, looking at Disney lineups now, and it's like, this has nothing. Oh, it's because I bought Fox, right? <laughs> technically, like, Stuber is technically a Disney film. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> right? There are just some things I'm like, mm, Star Wars and Marvel make sense. Yeah. Now we're getting a little weird. Anyways, that is neither here nor there as far as Spider-Man goes. So, yes, it will be interesting to see. It, You know what would actually be really cool to see? Is if Amazon Studios or some indie production company studio takes on Spider-Man and does this, like, super weird indie version of Spider-Man that's like breaks literally every every rule that Marvel and Disney have followed thus far and just does this like super artsy fartsy version of it. I'd be so curious to see that. I'm imagining it all like in sepia toned with like a slightly faded look to it, you know? Like a vintage Spider-Man. Yeah, that'd be real weird. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how Glass just subverted every superhero uh, yes. role, but like Loved had it. so much to say, right? Yes, it's great. <laughs> Loved Glass. I love it the more that I think about it, and I really, oh, really God. want to watch it again since I've had to watch all these other superhero movies. I'm like, yes, I want more of Glass. Yeah. This was our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. It is very much still out in theaters. I, and my local movie theater, Endgame, is actually still out. So if you haven't seen Endgame, see that and then see Spider-Man because... How are you listening to this if you've not seen Endgame? True. Shame on you. True. Go see it right now. <laughs> we love always having Caitlin on the podcast and just getting to talk all things Marvel. And it's, it's fun because... With Marvel films, I, th- I feel like you, you get to talk about the, the film itself, but then also how it fits into this larger world and landscape, which um, makes for some interesting discussion. I love that we all saw and reacted to this film very differently, too, and our love of Spider-Man is on various levels, so <laughs> <laughs> that always makes for a fun discussion, but it was awesome having you on, Caitlin. We always love it. Thank you. It's always a blast. So when's the next Marvel film? Not till next year. Is it Black Panther? I think it's next spring. Wow. Wow. Last I saw it was an untitled film. Oh, really? There's a Black Widow movie in the works. There is a Black Panther in the works. There is a Guardians in the works. So I don't know what's next, actually. I think that was intentional. (laughs) Yes. That's very smart of them start getting a couple but that'll also give a nice break for those who are in the midst of that superhero fatigue mm-hmm. um, instead we have before they yeah. hit you again 
Exactly. Instead, <laughs> we have all sorts of other franchises to look forward to in the meantime. Mm-hmm. But what that does mean is that uh, this is certainly not the last you'll see of Caitlin. She will be back um, with more reviews of Marvel films and others. And uh, in the meantime, we hope you guys have an awesome week and we'll be back next week. Thank you.